I want you to turn with me to the first epistle of John chapter 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now John and the other apostles accompanied Jesus for three and a half years during his public ministry. They walked with him. They talked with him. They ate with him, lived with him. And that experience radically changed their lives forever. In fact, in the Greek language, it kind of brings out this thought that he said, what we saw is still vivid in our minds. And what we heard is still ringing in our ears. That's the idea. Now think about this. People who have been traumatized by horrible events like war, people who have been traumatized by war are often haunted by that experience for the rest of their lives. They may have reoccurring nightmares. Sometimes people like this are triggered by an ordinary event, you know, the honking of a horn, uh, someone clapping their hands, and that takes them back to that moment of extreme tension in their life. They keep reliving that experience in their minds. And, and psychologists call this PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You see, it's a horrible thing. My grandfather, my mother's father, my grandfather fought in World War II. He was what they call a tail gunner uh, in a bomber aircraft. He sat in the back of the plane and fired a machine gun. And that experience honestly totally messed him up. I never knew him. He left my mother before I was born. And uh, I think he was unstable to begin with, but I know one thing. When he came back, he was just a shadow of the man he used to be, and he never recovered from that. He basically drank himself to death. But imagine this, a person being impacted just as dramatically as that, except in a totally, entirely positive way. Imagine someone being just as powerfully impacted in their life by an experience, except in a positive way, that something so wonderful, so amazing has happened to them, it's all they can think about. It changes who they are. It redefines them as a person. That's what happened to John. That's what he's trying to tell you in these verses. That's what happened to him and his fellow disciples by walking with Jesus. If your life hasn't been changed after meeting Jesus, you didn't meet him. Maybe you met an imposter, but you didn't meet him. 
Are you listening to me? It's impossible for you to remain the same after knowing him. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? And if you are not absolutely blown away by how awesome he is, then you don't know him very well. I said, if you're not just blown away by how amazing, how just indescribably wonderful he is, you don't know him very well. Now, some people, some people are impressive from a distance. Don't think too hard now. I'm just saying this in general. Some people are impressive from a distance, but when you know them up close, it's a little disappointing. I remember one Sunday years ago, after the service was over, I stepped down from the platform and a man came from the very back row and he walked right up to me to shake my hand. As he got closer, he said, wow, you're old. He said, back there, you look younger. I said, go back there. <laughs> Meet all kinds of people. <laughs> Bless his heart. So some people, when you, when you know them behind the scenes, when you get close to them, you kind of see their flaws and you're not as impressed. Not so with Christ. Not so with Christ. The closer you get to him, the more marvelous he becomes. Woo! Hallelujah! Now, again, those individuals who have survived the horrors of combat, battle, many times, and I've met folks like this, many times they refuse to talk about it. I met a man once, uh, uh, the father of a friend of mine. He was on the beaches of Normandy in World War II again. He won't talk about it. What was it like? He just said it was like hell, and he wouldn't say anything else. I've met people who fought in Vietnam, and I quizzed them. What was it like? And they started to talk a little bit, and they started getting real restless, and they just said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Because it's too painful to recount it. But what the apostles experienced was so marvelous, they couldn't stop talking about it. They talked about it. Everywhere they went, they told everybody they met. In fact, the more they shared the story of Christ, the more joyful they became. And these things we write to you that our joy may be full. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. When the religious leaders commanded them to be silent, Peter responded, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, the Passion Translation says this. Peter said, it's impossible for us to stop speaking about all the things we have seen and heard. It's impossible. Hallelujah. If you have been with Jesus, you cannot be silent. Oh, you didn't hear me now. I said, if you have been with the master, you cannot be silent. There's something inside you that says, I got to tell somebody. I got to tell somebody. This is too good to keep to myself. Hallelujah. So why? John, why? Why did you and those other disciples 
share your experiences with us. Again, notice 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, our text. It says, so that, here's why, so that you too, you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, that means, and truly, really, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The purpose of the gospel is not just to keep you out of hell. I mean, that may, that, that's a good reason, but that's not really the reason for the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is so that you can fellowship with the Lord and those who love him. Fellowship is the very reason for the cross. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. I didn't say kohima. I said koinonia. <laughs> koinonia. And it means that which is held in common. It comes from a Greek word koinos, which means common. That which is held in common. It means this. It's so important. Listen to this. A friendly association. That's, that's a good expression. A friendly association based on a shared condition or experience. A friendly association, camaraderie, companionship, based on a shared condition or experience. You see, the man who believes in Jesus is the friend of God. In other words, God's attitude is, you know my son, you're my friend too. You love him, then you have a place in my heart, a special place. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, in the world in which we live, if by chance you are related to someone who's famous or you are good friends with someone with uh, political influence, power, or who's well-resourced, who has a lot of money, then people who know that will want to meet you. Especially if you're from Nagaland. They will want to meet you. They'll call you up in the middle of the night. They'll, they'll stop by your house uninvited because they want you to do them a favor. Why? You're well-connected. You have friends in high places. I need, I need, you, you're, the, you're, the, you're the son of the governor. I was hoping you could help me with this area. You're, 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 you're best friends with this very wealthy man. I was hoping you could maybe do this for me. When you fellowship with the father, don't be surprised when even strangers come to you requesting prayer. Because they realize you're well connected. You have friends in high places. Ooh. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now notice this. Again, a friendly association based on what is shared in common. Notice this. Proverbs 18.24 in the New King James Version says this. And this verse can be translated several different ways, but I like this. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. That's why some people don't have any friends. They're not very friendly. So recently, recently, 
and I, I, and I just mean this to be helpful to, for my message today, but, but recently we had a guest speaker uh, who was here for, for a week, and I personally had not really met him before. I, I, I shook his hand once briefly, but I, I never really knew him. So, you know, when he came, you know, uh, and came to our guest house, I informed him that uh, I would not be having lunch with him. Rather, I wanted to give him time to rest from his journey. And he looked distinctly disappointed. Oh. And then I told him that, you know, I couldn't, I won't, will you be having dinner? Well, no, 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 I, we, we need you to rest, you know, in preparation for the next day. And, th- and then when I did have lunch with him, he was so happy, you know, and, and, uh, and we, we, we talked, you know, about various topics. And then after two hours of lunch and talking, mostly talking, I said, I made mention that, well, I need to go back to the office. So I even stood up from the table, you know, and started to kind of, you know, slowly walk, you know, backward, do, do the backstroke, you know. And, uh, but he seemed unfazed by that. He still remained seated and talking away. And like he didn't want me to go, you know, and, and, and I had to like, you know, took another hour just to get to the door, you know, and, and then he said, well, we'll see you for dinner. I said, well, no, I can't come for dinner. And he looked disappointed again. And, and then another time he kind of put his arm around me, hey, brother, and he said, I hope we can be friends. And I thought, oh, hmm. I mean bros and God, I don't mean something. <laughs> Um, people, you know, <laughs> and uh, and so I said, well, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we had I had something to do, so I said, well, you know, hey, come over to my office, and so they brought us tea and some biscuits or something, and we just talked away for hours and hours, and again, like I kind of like looked at my watch several times, and and he 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 didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't throw him out, but I kind of like you know. <laughs> he who has friends must show himself friendly. Jesus died so that you and I could have a friendly association with the Father. But relationships are a two-way street. See, some people have a weak relationship with God because they don't even understand that relationships cost us something. See? So many times, you know, we offer a quick prayer, read a verse from the Bible, and we're ready to rush out. And God's like unfazed by that. He's still seated like, no, I still want to talk to you. There's more I want to say to you. I I want to hear more about what's on your heart, you know. We want a real quickie little, you know, sermonette from the preacher at. Some people go outside and have a cigarette, but no, <laughs> you know, we want to, not in this church, of course, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we just want a quick little thing and God, but the heart of God is not satisfied with that. He wants more of you. Again, let me read to you 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 in the New International Reader's Version. We announce to you what we have seen and heard. Why? We do it so you can share Life together with us. That's Christianity. So that you can share life together with us and we share life with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Fellowship is doing life with Jesus. 
I said, fellowship is not just simply coming to a service a couple of times a week. That's commendable, don't misunderstand me. But fellowship is doing life with Jesus. Some people, and what a pity they're not here this morning. Some people don't maintain the things they have. Now, I'll just say this about myself. I think I can, I'm honest when I say, if it belongs to me, it don't have scratches. If it belongs to me, it's in its case, it's in its place, you know, there's no fingerprints, it's taken care of. Now, if I loan it out to some of you, it comes back all scratched and dented, you know. Some people don't take care of the things that belong to them. They don't maintain what they have. They get a new car. woo but they never, you know, change the engine oil. They never even check the, the air pressure in the tires. They take it for granted until one day it stalls out on the highway. Are you listening to me? Likewise, you have to maintain the relationships God has given you. So you have to maintain them. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. See... For example, if we do not make it a point to spend time with our children, especially you have young children, any age actually, but especially when they're young, if you don't make it a point to spend time with your children, you may lose them. Are you listening to me? Uh, often what happens is when, when the children are young, the parents are busy. You know, finances are tight. They're working hard. They may have two jobs, lots of things going on. So when the children are young, the parents don't have time for the children. Now that the children are older, they don't have time for the parents. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Thriving relationships do not happen by accident. There's a price you have to pay. It requires work. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost, non-denominational, word of faith, Bible-believing church. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Mm, I know couples who are legally married, but they don't even live in the same city and rarely communicate with each other. Huh? And I don't just mean one of them is working, you know, for a season or something. I mean, this is like a pretty much a permanent arrangement. Huh? They were once madly in love. Now they're just mad. <laughs> they were once madly in love. But when they stopped doing life together, they grew apart and their love soured. Fellowship is doing life with Jesus. You got to make it a point. You have to make it intentional. It's not going to happen by accident. Are you out there today? Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Let's go a little bit further while I get in trouble. This is, I'm talking about fellowship, but there's some other little things here that, you know, you can stick in your hip pocket. A loving husband is also a bit jealous. Of potential rivals. A loving husband. Are there any loving husbands here? No? What a pity. A one. Okay, God bless you, brother. A, lo 
<laughs> a loving husband is a bit jealous of potential rivals. Many years ago, maybe almost 20 years ago, while I was traveling in America, going to different churches, we had a guest speaker here, a guest speaker from America here. He was, he was ministering in, in my absence. He's actually a friend of ours and you know, fine and wonderful. And so I can't remember if this was like social media or something. It was a long time ago. But Jeppy, my wife, Pastor Jeppy, Apostle Jeppy, she told me, <laughs> she told me, Prophet Jeppy, she told me, she happened to mention that the guest speaker is staying in our house. <laughs> because, you know, there's no hotel rooms. And, you know, they can't find a place to stay. He's staying in our house. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, sure, praise God, praise God. And, I mean, you know, there's servants there. The children were, were younger. They were there. But my imagination started going a little wild, you know. <laughs> I'm alone in America. At night, I'm just hugging a pillow. I don't have anybody, you know. <laughs> And I, and I started thinking, what room is he sleeping in, you know? Maybe he's in my room. He's in my bed <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> and then they posted some pictures of the meeting and the, with the guest speaker, along with some people in the church, and even Pastor Jeppy was in some of the pictures. And I looked at them and I thought, huh, I think she's smiling a bit too much. I couldn't sleep that night. <laughs> I was punching that pillow. I mean, I couldn't sleep that <laughs> in case, In case you're concerned, it was all fine. It was totally kosher. No problem, you know. And this brother is still a friend of ours. But he's not staying in my house next time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's why we built a guest house, praise God. Amen. So I can sleep at night. <laughs> All right, here, what, was, what does that have to do with you and me? All right, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it has to do. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly said, I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. Huh? Why? Because he loves you. And you're not dating. You're married to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, see... You know, if my wife was spending or your wife was spending, you know, every day at Brother Zamazama's house and you were like, okay with that, unless Brother Zamazama's like a hundred years old or something like that, we, that, that scares us, you know. Oh, she's over Brother Zamazama's house. Oh yeah, I, no problem. I, I appreciate it. Go ahead and stay there. You know, no problem. Well, that, well, that's a problem. Well, see, God is distressed when you and I spend more time with the world than in his presence. It's, I think it's distressing to him when we, we, we keep our watches close on Sunday morning, but toss it aside on Saturday night. You know, we can, we can sit and watch, you know, Netflix movies or, or watch television, Hindi serials, you know, for, for, for hours and hours and hours. And we're, you know, hour, we're, we're not cognizant of the time. But, you know, if the sermon goes over five minutes, people start. 
well, maybe my sermon doesn't have to be long, but we shouldn't be in a hurry to get out of God's presence. And the Lord knows when we do things only out of religious duty. But if your wife said, kiss me, and you said, all right, it's my duty. You know, or, or you want to have a little romantic. This is for the, uh, the, the old, the covenant kids are meeting in the back. <laughs> you want to have a little romance and your wife says, all right, I'll do my duty. You're laughing. Did that happen recently? <laughs> it's not inspiring. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not very inspiring, right? So if you're just, listen, in Isaiah 29, verse 13, God said, this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. You know, God's not a music critic, right? He's not up there saying, oh, I, I, like those, I love that falsetto voice. Oh, yes, oh, that, that bass line, that's, that's grooving. No, he's, he's, he's looking at our hearts. Sure, they, these folks, and, and you know, they, they do things excellently. The Bible talks about skillfully you know, using your instruments and that type of thing. We want to do, give God our best, but, but worship is something that starts in here, isn't it? Right? I say singers love to sing. Worshipers love to worship. Listen, if you don't do it at home, you're going to be waiting a long time before we invite you to do it here. If you don't do it in the shadows of your bedroom, you're not going to do it under the bright halogen lights in this church. Amen. Hallelujah. And God doesn't need your money. He can get along without you. He's gotten along all these years without you just fine. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He wants you. Hallelujah. Amen. So that means you can't just live distant from God and throw in a few bucks and God says, oh, wonderful. No, no. Keep your, keep your, keep your filthy lucre. I want you. When we pass the offering next time, instead of throwing in a few bucks, why don't you ask the usher to put the bucket on the floor and then you step in it? Come on, is anybody here? Is this too deep for you? What I'm saying is, you, why don't you give yourself? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Koinonia. A friendly association based on what is held in common. What we have in common. Our fellowship with the Father is based on Jesus. Our fellowship is based on Jesus. So I have friends of mine, and I, su I suspect that you do too. I have friends of mine that love to talk about politics. You know, we, when we're on that subject, you know, their eyes brighten up, and they talk a mile a minute. And I know some people here are like that. I've seen you brighten up. Others I know, business is their topic. I mean, that's, that's, that's their subject. You know, when you talk about, you know, business, especially making money, you know, they perk up. You know, they become very responsive. They, they have something to say. Oh, yeah, my, I'll be honest, my dad was like that. My, my, my dad was very much like that. But then when you talk about other matters, they kind of fade away, right? 
their eyes kind of glaze over in a semi-comatose state. Some of you look like that every Sunday, to be honest with you. (laughs) So when I talk about the cross, when I talk about the power of the blood, when I talk about this new life, Zoe, that we have in Christ, God the Father leans in. I have his attention because that's his favorite topic. That's his favorite topic. So God is not especially concerned about my hobbies, nor yours for that matter. Now, on the one hand, because he loves me, and cares about me. He's concerned about every area of my life. But I don't fellowship with God talking about guitars. Hey, God, should I get another guitar? Hey, what do you think about this guitar? If he says anything, he'll just say, you, you, I think you have enough guitars. Seven is enough, you know. <laughs> oh, you know, Lord, let me fellowship with you about motorbikes. Are you a Kawasaki God or are you a Suzuki God? He, he, he's unresponsive. Because you know, that's... That's not what our fellowship is based on. It's not based on your recreation. It's not based on your pastor. It's based on Jesus. So, so, so to have intimacy with the Father, Jesus must be the focus of your life. Amen. That means our worship and our preaching should be Christ-centered. And that's why often things are more superficial and less supernatural. Are you out there today? Charles Spurgeon, and he was Baptist for all of you from Nagaland. Charles Spurgeon said this, a Christless sermon is a worthless sermon. It is like bread made without flour. The essential element is lacking. A Christless sermon. Jesus isn't even in the message. Some people, I don't mean to be unkind, just in general, like, you know, in the body of Christ. Some people, their message has degenerated into a self-help talk, a TED talk. Jesus isn't even in there. If you just walked in and you didn't know, you wouldn't know whether this was a church service. You wouldn't know whether this person was a Christian or not. No, he's always got to be at the center of who we are and everything we do. To the extent he isn't, you're not walking with God. That's the thing, and that's pretty much the only thing you have in common with God. Jesus. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. Now let's go back to 1 John. I have a few minutes. I want to say a few things, and then we'll let you go. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it refers to Jesus as the word of life. Concerning the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. He's the life-giving word. Then in verse 2, John says that Jesus is the life. He is the life. For the life was manifested. That eternal life, 
that was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus. He left his home in heaven. He came down here. He walked among us. And he refers to him as the eternal life. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. But what is eternal life? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in John chapter 17, verse 3. The Bible school students may recall this. John chapter 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Eternal life is not knowing something about God. It is knowing God personally as in a relationship. If you don't know him personally, nobody cares how much you know about him. The only knowledge that will help you is the knowledge that you know of him through him personally. The rest is just theological after dinner talk. Are you out there today? So Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, bear with me just a moment here. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he said, I'm the way. But he also said, I am the life. I am the life. So we could paraphrase that last part. No one, eternal life is knowing God. So we could paraphrase it. No one can know the Father except by me. Well, you know, there's a, you know, this man in my village, there's this woman, you know, in my hometown. She's not a Christian, but she really knows God. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. Are you listening to me? In Jeremiah, God predicted, he foretold this new covenant that we have in Christ. In chapter 31, verse 34, he said these words, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And that means you do not know God just because you were raised in church. You do not know God just because your mother was a Christian. You do not know God just because you graduated from seminary. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 12, he who has the son has life. Life, eternal life is knowing the father. He who has the son knows the father. He who does not have the son does not know the father. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So just one more thing I want to say, but it's very important. Basically, John said, we shared with you He's writing to Christians. We shared with you what we experienced so that you can have the same experience. What we heard, what we saw, we announced to you so that you could know him as well as we know him. In fact, even better. Before the cross, they only knew him according to the flesh. John says, we saw him with our eyes. We handled him with our hand. But now nobody knows Christ that way. We know him by the spirit and through the word of God. 
or listening to me. So that we could know him. So that we could experience him. So that he would be just as real to us as he was to them 2,000 years ago. That's what he's communicating. That's what he's talking about. Hallelujah. Let's go just one step further. One step further. Jesus came so that we could have the same kind of relationship with the Father that he had when he walked in this world. Jesus came. He came and he died for us, rose again, so that we could have the same kind of relationship with the Father that he himself had when he was here in the flesh. In other words, it's not, it's not enough for, you know, Jesus really, he really knows the Father. And, and the apostles, you know, they knew, they, knew, they knew the Lord. And you and I, we have sort of a knockoff relationship. We have some duplicate relationship. You know, we have a, some kind of a second, we're living just on secondhand information. And so we have just this little replica, but not the real thing. No, the idea is so that we would know God just as well as Jesus knew him when he walked here in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when you read the Gospels, instead of just seeing Jesus as, you know, our hero, he is that. I, I get that. And more than that, but he's also our example. I am the life. So what he's saying is, if you receive this life from me, you'll live like I lived. And this is what it looks like. What does it look like to fellowship with the Father? Look in the Gospels. Look at Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's the way we, he was. He basically didn't say, hey, I came here as a superstar so everybody could just admire me. I don't want to be, uh, you know, uh, profane or something like that or irreverent. I don't mean that. Yes, he's a son of God. Yes, he's amazing. But there's another side to it. What he's really saying is I came here to model this life. I'm going, I came here to show you what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. How important to Jesus was his relationship with the Father? How important to him was his relationship with the Father? It, it was everything. You can especially see that in the Gospel of John. It was everything. His relationship with the Father defined him as a person. It was his source of strength. It was his purpose in life. Everything he did and everything he had was a result of his relationship with the Father. The secret of his success in ministry, the, the source of power, it was his fellowship with the Father. Listening to me? So what kind of relationship did Jesus have with the Father? Let me give you a few quick points and then we'll go. It was confident. Put that bulletin point up there. Yes, thank you very much. It's confident. Confident. Jesus never doubted 
or questioned his relationship with the Father. He never said, well, I, I think I know God. I mean, sometimes I, I'm, not, I'm not always sure. No, he was confident. In fact, he said in John 8, 55, to the Jews, I know him, meaning God the Father. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and keep his word. He's very confident. I know the Father. The Father knows me. Number two, it was consistent. It was consistent. He didn't waver in his relationship. He wasn't one day hot as fire, next day cold as ice. He wasn't fully in and the next day kind of only half-heartedly committed. He was consistent in his relationship. His consistency in his relationship made his life consistent. If you are up and down, in and out, then you're not walking with the Father consistently because whoever you spend the most time with will influence your life. If you hang out with inconsistent people, you will be inconsistent. If you walk with God, you'll be a rock. Hallelujah. Next, number three, I think, I'll use the word conscious. Conscious. What I mean by that is Jesus was always aware that the Father was with him. Every, every waking moment, every day, he's constantly aware the Father is with me. I know him. He knows me. In John 8, 29, he said, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And he was in some difficult pickles People tempting him, people pressuring him, people accusing him. Some of us have a bad day and we start crying and say, God, where are you? He was always conscious of his father's presence. Next, these are all the letter C, confessed. Confessed. What I mean by that is he continually acknowledged his relationship with the father. He talked about it all the time. The father sent me. I've come to do not my will, but my Father's will. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. He's constantly, constantly talking about his Father. They even said, who is your Father? He was constantly talking about his Father. He said, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He's talking about God. He constantly talked about it. And then lastly, I'll use the word contented. Contented. There was a satisfaction. He didn't have a new motorbike. He had a borrowed donkey. He didn't have Sony PlayStation. Huh? He didn't have electric guitars. He didn't wear Gucci. Had a nice robe, at least one nice robe. If you were him, you'd be grumbling and complaining. How come I don't have as nice robes as the Pharisees have? Look at their donkeys. I had to borrow a donkey. I'm walking there. He was contented in something much better than anything this world can give you. I believe in prosperity. I don't believe in greed. I believe in God meeting all your needs abundantly. I don't believe making money your God. I don't believe you should have the wrong focus. If you're not w willing to be generous, if you're not willing to, to use your finances for the kingdom of God, then I, then I suspect that that money is an idol in your life. Don't worry, I'm not going to take up another offering, okay? We did that already. But he was contented. He said in John 4.32... 
This is interesting. John 4, 32, after talking with the woman at the well of Samaria, he told his disciples, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. Some of you look hungry. It's going to be at 12 and 30 minutes, and you have that mean, hungry look on your face. It's really hard to preach to people whose stomachs are growling so loudly, you know. What he was saying is, you know, when you eat a big meal, you just kind of have that happy little silly grin on your face. He was found peace and satisfaction in his relationship with the Father. See, you endure being a Christian. He enjoyed it. Well, of course, he's not a Christian. He's the Christ, but he enjoyed his relationship with his Father. The saddest thing in all the world to see is a believer who's out of fellowship with the Lord. A child of God who's not walking with God. He isn't confident and he isn't consistent. He's not even conscious of God's presence most of the time. And he never confesses it. He rarely talks about it. And he's discontented and restless. But thank God this morning, if our fellowship is broken, it can be mended. If our fellowship is frayed because of sin, we don't have to get born again again. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. But our fellowship can be renewed. We can be forgiven. Scripture that I've used more than any other. And I feel like I'm maybe not alone here. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins. He talked about fellowship. He talked about fellowship. Now he says if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking to sinners. Sinners are not saved by confessing their sins. He's talking to believers. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your head with me this morning. Praise the Lord Father.